I am America. I'm the part you won't recognize, but get used to me. Nicaraguan, confident, cocky. My name, not yours. My religion, not yours. My goals, my own. Get used to me. I ain't no stumble bump. This is Real Latinos. Hola y bienvenidos a Real Latinos. My name is Ismael. This is Guti. ¿Qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó, mi gente? This is Ron. Yo. And we are Real Latinos, a podcast covering Latin American films because nobody else will. Gentlemen, how are y'all today? Ron, how are you? Living life. Living life. Guti, you living life? I am. I'm fantastic right now, you know? Wow. Been waiting for a long, long time for us to cover this movie, and it's finally Oof. here. The day is finally here. here. The movie that Guti is talking about is Reckoning for a Heavyweight. Uh, Reckoning for a Heavyweight, uh, over uh, from 1962, directed by Ralph Nelson. We will be covering all things spoilers for this movie. So if you do not want this movie spoiled for you, please go watch this movie. It is available on the Internet Archive. So. It's legal, right? Legal for free, right? I think. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, for now, I know there's some stuff going on, but we won't talk about that. We don't need to. Get all right, well, let's not talk about that. But all we know is that right now, for free, it's you findable. Can go, That's it's, it's findable. findable. You can find this for free online in uh, pretty good quality, may I say. So, go ahead and check that out. Uh, but before we get into tonight's feature presentation, happy Latin American Heritage month gentlemen mm-hmm. how about Thank that you. how about that baby Goody. we are Excited. here Goody. we got a we got a list of of some beautiful countries that we got to shout out don't we yeah we gotta uh so today uh we gotta shout out costa rica el mm. salvador guatemala mm. honduras mm-hmm. and of course mm-hmm. milinda nicaragua who all mm. share the same day of independence september 15th so we gotta we gotta celebrate that we gotta we gotta cheer for them. Uh, also on September sixteenth we have our dear Mexico también <laughs> celebrando su independencia that day. And lastly on September eighteenth we have Chile. Now because we are terrible people, uh, we forgot that Brazil was also celebrating their Independence Day on September seventh. So we can't uh. forget about our Brazilian. You know, our Brazilian people, so we gotta we gotta shout truly, them out, and, and we apologize. We apologize. It's a smile's fault, but we apologize. Truly a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, may I just use this as an opportunity for me to say, you know, this wouldn't be an issue if we didn't have this labeled as Hispanic Heritage Month, and if we just had it as Latin American Heritage Month, mm-hmm. and we started on the first of September, so that we could <laughs> just have it ready to go. You know, like, you know, th- this this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. But you know, we're here, <laughs> and nimo, you know, it, it is what it is. But shout out to all those beautiful, beautiful countries. Uh, I think we've covered just about a movie in all of them, right? Except for um, just almost. a handful. Handful. Yeah. Handful left. Yep. Just two. Just two, I think. So, um, man, what a what a journey this has been. This is amazing. And then the uh, podcast's over. We did yeah, it. Yeah. And it's done. Burying it 
Ron, Ron's just uh just has had enough with editing. It's just editing out all our all our nonsense. You know, for the listener backstage, we have like three hour recordings that Ron has to trim down to like an hour. So it's just it's ridiculous. So, you know, Ron, we love you. I try to get it down to an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, happy Latin American Heritage Month to you all. And uh, speaking of Latin American Heritage Month. A lot of Latin American movies, Latin American movies that, um, you know, we're very fond of because this is a Latin American movie podcast, but the National Film Archive for the United States, they every year they have a list of nominees of movies that can be entered into the Library of Congress. And uh, this year, there's a list of 27 different movies that are of Latin American descent, and they are being nominated to, to get added to that Library of Congress. And a couple that I want to shout out are... Um, Blood and Blood Out, uh, Jackie's favorite movie of all time. One of my mm. favorite movies of all time. It's just uh, absolutely incredible. When are we covering this on the pod? Who knows? Uh, we'll see. When is Jackie coming on the pod? Who knows? I we'll don't see. know. Yeah, this is this is a question <laughs> for Jackie. Uh, uh, Jackie, nomás nos avisas, and uh, we're, we're ready. We're ready to go. And um, another one that I wanted to shout out was uh, Alambrista. Alambrista, you can catch that over in the Criterion Collection. It's over in the Criterion Collection. I have a... I have a copy myself. And um, yeah. And there's another one that uh, Guti really wanted to shout out. Uh, Roberto Clemente. Guti, take it away. Yeah. A nice little documentary that's getting uh, getting some acknowledgement here. I, I didn't even know that this documentary existed until I saw this list. So, I mean, that's that's why it's great that we have these nominees and, and these uh, nominees are announced. Because that way, you know, it puts, puts these films on, on people's radars. Uh, but yeah, uh, like I've talked about before, Roberto Clemente, is, he's my favorite baseball player of all time. To me, he's the greatest who will ever live, uh, no matter what. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, he he passed away way too soon. Um, and uh, and he, you know, he's a very famous when it comes to baseball because he was actually the first Caribbean and the first Latin American player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame posthumously. So um, yeah, big Roberto Clemente fans here, and uh, I, I really want to catch that documentary, and I hope you all too will too. Right, yeah. And uh, still on this train about Latin American films, a lot of lot of news this week. A lot of news. You're not going to ask me about my no, opinion. No, no, not the, about the, you. The no. Sorry, Ron. You That's can't. fine. That's you cool. Can't. No, dude. I, cool. I told you before the recording. Any movies that you guys want to shout out, and you didn't say anything. But like, Ron, okay, I'll don't say it. Tell us. Tell us. What, okay, well, I just shout like. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of movies that I haven't thought about in a long time, like like Me Familia and Girl Fight and Tortilla Soup that mm. I thought were really good when I saw them when I was a kid. And I, I thought it was really cool that uh, I saw them on this list. I think the most important thing that we need to point out is that, you know, and I'll, we'll, we'll post an article in the show notes so people can uh, can read it. But, um, you know, Latinos make up 20 percent of the nation's population, yet less than three percent of the 850 movies in preserved in the uh, the film registry are um are, are Latin American. So, um, yeah, it's, it's cool that, uh, there's, there's 27 nominees. Hopefully we get a, uh, whole bunch of them in at least one, please. <laughs> like, this is insane. Um, but yeah, mi familia, good shout out, Ron. I just watched that one just like a couple months ago too. So, um, good movie. Good movie, man. Jimmy Smith's. How about that guy? Jimmy um, Smith's. How about that guy? Legend. My goodness. Legend. Legend. Uh, Segwaying hard, a lot of news. Los Arieles. We just had an episode about this two two episodes ago. Um, if you don't want it spoiled, go and listen to that episode, and then come over here to see if we got any of our picks right. 
Um, spoilers, someone did. Someone did get some bang on. So let's see what we have here. Los Arieles, the 65th Ariel Awards. We have, uh, we we covered six of those movies, uh, six of the movies that were being nominated uh, just overall in the whole ceremony because those were covering uh, Best Picture and Best Director. Best Director went to, drumroll please. Da, 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 da. Alejandro González Iñárritu, my goodness. I mean, my guy, you know, it, it sucks that, you know, it's the, the year where four out of the five nominees are, are, are women, but the guy wins, you know, it's a shame, but God, I love Iñárritu. He's, he's great. He's amazing. <laughs> and I got to say, well deserved. It was great. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Man. <laughs> yeah. really anyway. Nice. Yeah. Bardo, Bardo cleaned up too. They got what one, two. Uh, yeah. I think they got, they they got like six, six, seven. Uh, like I think seven awards. Yeah, so, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that Wesetta was going to get a whole lot more just because Wesetta I think was the most nominated. Yeah, they were the most nominated. Wesetta had seventeen nominations, so I really thought that Wesetta was going to clean up. They did. They episode. um they got best original screenplay though, so I, I thought that was cool. And then yeah. um. Yeah, they, and then yeah, like effects, um, and the the best first work, which I think is a cool award. I think um, the, oh, the yeah, Oscars should it. have something like that because like the BAFTAs have something like that too. Mm-hmm. So um, I think like acknowledging rookie things. Um, yeah. Also, do they have a? There's a category for best uh, Ibero-American film, which mm-hmm. um, uh, the uh, the Kings of the World, which a movie that we covered uh, last season was one of the nominees, but the one that won the category was another movie, one of our most popular episodes for Argentina in 1985. So that was, mm-hmm. that's, that's cool to see uh, that represented there as well. Yeah, it was, it's a, uh, it's pretty crazy. It really, really great uh, wins all around here. I mean, of course I'm very biased, but by the one best editing, by the one best uh, sound, it won best, uh, uh, best actor, else? my, my beloved best Daniel. Actor. Oof. I mean, he, I mean, what a performance. Let, let's be real here. It was insane. Easily the best one out of all the ones that I've seen here in the in the. But the it race. didn't win Best Picture. Did not win Best Picture. No. You know what did win Best Picture? I do because I'm looking at the list, but tell Dr- the listeners. Drumroll, please. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> El Norte Sobre el Vacío, directed by Alejandra Marquez Abella. I mean, great movie. Oh, Absolutely yeah. great movie. Really liked it. Yeah. Good yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic because for me, out of the, out of the, all the films that we we watched in order to, uh, to, to record that episode, this is the one that actually stuck with me the most, and I liked the most. Um, but obviously, you know, I had, uh, I thought, it would, I thought they would go with Bardo. I honestly did, but yeah. you know, yeah, I, I'm glad to be wrong. I'm glad to be wrong. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't going to go to Bardo, I really hope that it would have gone to La Civil because La Civil just floored me. It was so good. But I mean, La Civil did get uh, Best Actress with um, mm-hmm. Arcelia Ramirez. It was an incredible performance. One, uh, seriously, for the ages, so good. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I mean, a very successful, very successful Ariel Award uh, ceremony. Um, and also Best Cinematography to Bardo to, <laughs> for Darius Kanji. What a freaking movie. But anyways, um, yeah, great Ariel Awards. Um, I mean, a fantastic Ariel Award uh, nomination and winners and ceremony. It was a great time. Uh, our 
our social media expert Guti was live tweeting at, at the time too. So thank you, Guti, for for have, having us out there, really putting us on the map. So um, good stuff, great stuff. And so with that, Guti, from our social media expert to now our historical context expert, please, why don't you go ahead and tell us the historical context for Requiem for a Heavyweight. Requiem for a Heavyweight began as a play written by the legendary Rod Serling. You know, the guy who created the Twilight Zone. With television becoming an increasingly dominant medium in the 50s and 60s, the play was first performed as a teleplay in 1956 as part of the television series Playhouse 90. Due to the success of the teleplay, Serling adapted it into a feature film in 1962, the one we're covering today. Ralph Nelson, who had directed the teleplay, returned to direct, and Anthony Quinn agreed to star, who did this film while Lawrence of Arabia was on a two-month hiatus between October and December of 1961. Quinn would later say on the Dick Cavett show that the role of Mountain Rivera was one of his favorite roles of all time, and one in which he felt extremely close to the character. Requiem for a Heavyweight was released at a time in America in political disarray. First, the United States was in a period of geopolitical tension with the Soviet Union, the Cold War, and as such, this film reflects the anxieties and uncertainties of the era as it portrays the struggles of a former boxer trying to find his place in the world. Second, though this film was released in 1962, almost 20 years since the end of World War II, it still reflects the broader societal issues of veterans returning from war and struggling to reintegrate into civilian life. In the film, we see this as Mountain Rivera as a former boxer who suffered injuries during his career, which affects his ability to find work and support himself. A problem, unfortunately, that is still as prevalent today as it was back then. Lastly, this film was released right in the middle of the civil rights movement, a period where African Americans were fighting for equal rights and an end to racial segregation. Though the film doesn't specifically call this out, there are elements of racial themes here, as the character of Mountain Rivera faces discrimination and limited opportunities due to his race. Anthony Quinn, a Mexican-American, surely must have seen similarities between his character and how Latin Americans were portrayed in Hollywood, often cast stereotypically as the greaser, the Latin lover, vicious bandits, lazy peasants, or humorous buffoons. When this film was released, boxing had been on a little bit of a decline as a popular sport in the United States. This was mainly due to boxing being once again exposed for its corruption. Boxer Jake LaMotta, who some of you may recognize his name from Scorsese's Raging Bull, had alleged in the late 50s in a hearing that he had thrown the fight with Billy Fox in exchange for the try at the middleweight title. And Jim Norris, an important promoter of the time, had been known to be associated with Blinky Palmero and Frankie Carpo, two mafia members of the time. The film highlights this corruption in the sport, but boxing would once again be back on the rise with the coming of a young boxer from Louisville, Kentucky, Cassius Clay, not yet known as Muhammad Ali, who may be considered one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, and makes his feature feature film debut here in the memorable opening sequence. Ali, two years later, would shock the world by defeating Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title, though that came with its own controversies. The film also has cameos from many former world boxing champions, most notably Jack Dempsey and Barney Ross. When Requiem for a Heavyweight was released in the fall of 1962, it received critical acclaim and is still celebrated as one of the most realistic portrayals of the boxing world. Thank you so much, Guti, for giving us all that wonderful historical context. I mean, I had no clue that uh, Quinn was doing this between Arabian shootings. That's right? crazy. Yep. yep. That's wild. Yeah. 
also wild uh anthony quinn's makeup in lawrence of arabia not good <laughs> so um <laughs> well let's not uh let's not cover that but um this is not lawrence of arabia really. pod yeah this is not a lawrence of arabia podcast um but uh ron why don't you go ahead and give us the synopsis for requiem for a heavier what happens here Where, what's mesh up to Luis Rivera is a 37-year-old boxer being played by a 50-year-old actor. Nicknamed Mountain because of his hulking size, he is at the end of his career. After getting the absolute snot punched out of him by the greatest of all time, the club doctor refuses to certify Mountain for any more matches, saying that if he takes any more beatings, he'll probably go blind. Unfortunately, Mountain's manager, Mace Rennick, is severely in debt to local loan shark Ma Greeny for an ill-advised bet gone wrong. Mountain, feeling like he owes Mace for his career, vows that Mace will continue to get a cut of his earnings in order to pay off his debts, even if it isn't from boxing. Mountain attempts to find a job, but his only experience in education is fighting and drinking. Fortunately, the employment agent, Grace Miller, is sympathetic to Mountain's predicament and offers to try to get him a job as a youth athletics counselor. Mace, however, has arranged with some of Ma's thugs to get Mountain a job as a professional wrestler amidst the protests of Grace and Mountain's best friend and cutman, Army. Mountain, not liking the stage nature and flashy costumes of wrestling, declines. Unfortunately, Mace purposefully gets Mountain drunk, and he forgets about the job interview that Grace set up for him. Out of options, Mountain takes the wrestling job in order to work off Mace's debt. Dressed as a Native American stereotype before the match, Mountain is humiliated and changes his mind. Mace reveals that the bad bet that he advised Ma on was that Mountain would lose his last match in an early round, delivering another body blow to Mountain's self-esteem. Mountain attempts to leave, but Ma shows up with the intent to have Mesh killed. Not wanting to see his friend die, Mountain dons his costume and enters the ring, booed by the crowd, a fighter whose spirit is now just as broken as his body. Oof. Heartbreaking final line there, Ron. But so true. So freaking true. Let's get into it. Let's get into this movie. Um, uh, so for our respective histories, uh, Guthi, I know that you've already watched this film. So how about it? How was your first viewing? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being blown away by this film. Um, I had just come across it. I, I think there was like, you know, typically the Criterion channel will do these like playlist, you know, these curated playlists from the m- month to month. And at the time they had a, a boxing playlist. Um, and I, I saw this movie. I saw that my boy Anthony Quinn was in it. And I was like, yeah, I got to give it a shot. And especially if it's under, you know, an hour 30 definitely gotta give it a shot uh and yeah i just absolutely loved it blown away uh by his performance the first time and i said this i think this would be a great episode for the real latinos to do because you know at the end of the day we also have to remember that there were a lot of people behind the scenes and also in front of the camera um though you know though it wasn't as many as it should have been uh who did work in the golden age of hollywood and it's and it's i think it's important to to spotlight those people and kind of the trials and tribulations that they went through so yeah that's my uh that's my history with this film all right ron how about you any history with this movie um no not uh not with the film i mean we'll we'll get into it um i recognize uh, a lot of the supporting cast but even anthony quinn before seeing this the only thing that i've seen him in is last action hero so, oh my uh, gosh this was, oh, yeah wow. this, this was my first uh experience with anthony quinn so you've never seen lawrence of arabia i have never seen lawrence of arabia Whoa. but now that i know that he's in it i can pick it for the pod so oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, epic relatinos up <laughs> right right <laughs> uh but uh yeah anthony quinn he um i've only seen him in lawrence of arabia and la strada oh my gosh 
La Estrada. What a great movie. Highly recommend it. You know, directed by Federico Fellini. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really have any other uh, relationship to this uh, movie at all. I mean, the greatest is in this movie, Muhammad Ali. Uh, back then, named this Cassius Clay. But uh, yeah, other than that, no, not really. I didn't have any anything with this movie. So, so let's get down to the nitty gritty with this, and we can talk about the performances. So, first performance that I'd like to talk about is Anthony Quinn. I mean, like the whole reason why we're like this this movie can uh, is being shown here on Real Latinos. But Anthony Quinn is for those that are not in the know. Anthony Quinn is actually um, one of the most iconic and probably one of the first uh, Mexican American or Latin American in general actors in the Hollywood system that really made it big. And um, he does a fantastic job. I really absolutely adore his performance here as like this large lovable, uh, but like flawed and broken person. It's so well done and so intricate. And I just like my heart breaks anytime. Like he's like really looking out, for like his homies, he's looking out for Army. He feels like he owes it to Mace, even though honestly he does not owe Mace anything at this point because yeah. Mace is just like running him down in the dirt. It's just um, absolutely incredible performances here. And uh, Anthony Quinn, what a what a man, what a legend. Anyone wanna anyone wanna uh, uh, tap in to see to talk about Anthony Quinn? Yeah, I'll go first so that Guti can take it home. I'm sure he has a lot to say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, yeah, like I said, I've, uh, um, I don't really have any experience with Anthony Quinn. Like I knew of him, but I had never really, um, seen any of his performances. And I, um, I was very taken aback by, I mean, there's, there's a ton of stellar performances in, in this movie. And I do want to touch on some of the other ones, but, um, yeah, him in, in the central role, um, it's uh, it's not what I was expecting from a leading man. He's very, you know, like downtrodden and like, um, and he reminded me a lot of um, of like Lenny in of Mice and Men or like like, like characters oh, like that, like, yeah. you know. But uh, like he's, uh, we don't get too much into like his background before, you know, like boxing. But he's, you know, he's he's definitely playing a dude where like this this is his only life. This is all all he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like very ineloquent and he's like, you know, and he's, he's really like, like normal Joe, you see that, like, you know, him, you know, like drinking with his buddies and, and stuff. And, um, it's just really down to earth. And like, I, I really, really like got into it. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like, he reminds me a lot of like my grandpa and my uncles and stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, which I, I think we'll get more into later as far as like the represent representation of like um this kind of life and these kind of people and stuff but uh yeah like i I thought tony quinn did an amazing job yeah anthony quinn what a yeah what a what a a guy manuel antonio rodolfo quinn oaxaca as there you go yeah yeah do the full name bro (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah no i thought he was great um for for some people who may not know he he was actually um one of the first um and the first uh he was one of the first latinos but he was the first mexican-american uh to win an an oscar for a supporting support as a supporting actor in uh, viva zapata which is another film that you know maybe in the future we'll we'll cover here on the show um Mm -hmm. but yeah i love i loved his performance here that was that was the biggest takeaway i 
got the first time I watched it because the first time that I watched it, I was in a very similar position as Ron that I knew of the man. Well, my dad almost slapped me when I told him I hadn't watched many of his films. Um, <laughs> and up to that, and up to that point, the only one I had seen is Lawrence of Arabia as well. So um, I was just, yeah, really taken aback by his performance. And I think something that gets kind of that gets kind of not talked about when it comes to male performances is that, oh, you know, he looks, you know, he looks so tough, or he's so down, downtrodden, or like there isn't much going on in his face, but. Um, for me, I think with male performances, the important thing is to kind of see like what's underneath the surface. And I think Anthony Quinn, especially with the way he kind of moves around here, um, you know, certain inflections that he has on words and, and whatnot, really adds more to the performance than meets the eye. Um, and I also think that about, you know, Mickey Rooney and this and his performances mm-hmm. of Rooney, who like for me, Mickey Rooney was as equally a revelation as Anthony yeah. Quinn is in this. Um, and I had seen some Mickey Rooney stuff, but I hadn't seen anything really of him, you know, as an older actor. Cause you know, he did start off as a kid actor with, mm-hmm. um, with Judy Garland. And then after that kind of Hollywood try to basically tell him, you know, as they tell every other child actor, like, hey, you know, you're, you're finished. You can't really, you know, translate mm-hmm. this career, but some of Mickey Rooney's best performances, many that I still have to watch, but I've read about, um, are in his older years and i would you know i would consider this one really really up there up top Mm -hmm. um from what i've seen yeah mickey rooney was definitely the one thing that stood out to me um the first movie i ever saw in a movie theater was was fox and a hound and mickey rooney does the voice of todd in that um Mm. but like similarly like i know you know um i know watching him in like boys town with spencer tracy as a kid or like in night at the museum as an old man i've never seen him in like this kind of like middle age you know right. um which i i think is about 45 in, in in the movie um and uh and also my perception of mickey rooney is like you know him seeing jiminy jillikers on on the simpsons as, as fallout <laughs> boy you know so like right. i i know of mickey rooney as like a goofy dude um and uh to see him in such a serious straight man role and he's like honestly he's he's killing it like this is an academy award worthy performance as far as i can i'm concerned and i think my favorite part of the movie is that that last shot of him just like shedding the tears he's watching his friend you know like resign to his fate like i just i was so amazed by by rooney's performance in this man who won best uh, supporting actor that year Ed Begley for, for sweet what movie? for uh Ed Begley for Sweet Bird of something. Google's not giving me the whole the whole spiel. But uh oh, here it is. Sweet Bird of Youth. Dude, my guy wasn't even nominated for this. Yeah, I don't think this was nominated for like anything. Yeah, oh it wasn't God. nominated for anything. I was like, wow. Well, it might have been also just because you know it came from a teleplay, so maybe I I, don't, I, right. I have no background on this whatsoever. Well, I'm to just kill a mockingbird, maybe... oh, but that's a, just a book, not not a teleplay. So, yeah, yeah I don't think mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think that went straight from book to it was adapted straight mm-hmm. to to film. Uh, yeah. But Sweet Bird of Youth. I mean, I either way, watch, this was. But, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, you know, this this was theatrically released, so I'm just, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. And as far as I could tell, like, it was met with good reviews when it came out. 
So, you know, kind yeah, of, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'd never even heard of this until Guti brought it up a few months back when we started doing this podcast. So, um, I was, especially given the caliber of the performances and stuff, I'm really surprised that, you know, this is kind of under the radar, like a lot of the stuff that we do here. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Totally in, in line if, uh, with Latinos canon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if, uh, and, and you know, for anyone else who's like really interested in kind of like the middle age, Mickey Rooney, there's another movie that he did uh, called Drive a Crooked Road that often gets cited as like one of his, one of his best performances. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Mickey Rooney middle age. I think it was like eight years before this one. Um, and it's like a film noir. So, you know, if anyone if anyone's interested in looking into more of Mickey Rooney's career, uh, especially the middle aged part, that's that's a good recommendation there. Um, I don't know who's gonna who's gonna start talking about Mesh. Someone's gotta start talking about Mesh here. Mesh Nash is <laughs> Mesh Nash. a thing. It really is a thing. Um, I just I can't believe so many people are fucking ride or die for Mesh because honestly, I hate the guy. I hate him so much. I want Anthony Quinn to just beat the shit out of him. Because I hate Mesh, but it's just because Jackie Gleason does such a great job portraying mm-hmm. such a despicable man. Like, yep, he just puts him like he just puts him down, and when you realize that he bet against him, like we as the audience know, but you know Anthony Quinn Mountain Rivera does not know, and like when it's revealed to him, it's just that much more heartbreaking when he's like, Are "You seriously." bet it against me like what is after 111 fights this is insane like i, I cannot believe this guy mesh i i hate mesh i i i i know that it's brave <laughs> to say i know that everyone out here is ride or die for mesh but i hate mesh ron are you in the part of the mesh nation um, I I don't even know what Ma- I think I think Jasher is the only one <laughs> um but uh yeah, I mean, I don't know that I I would say I'm right or die for him. I I don't hate him though. Um, and uh, I, similar to to Mickey Rooney, I don't. My only experience with Jackie Gleason is the Honeymooners, which is right. again very different than than this role that he's playing here. Um, and just like Anthony Quinn and Mickey Rooney, I I was blown away by his performance. I thought he did such a, an incredible job. Um, and I I actually found him a little bit more sympathetic. Like I don't think that he's quite the the villain that um that that, that maybe it, it seems like yes he's obviously very flawed and he does some dirtbag things but um i i don't like i i do think that he genuinely loves mountain like i it's, i think that he takes advantage of him um uh, especially when his back's against the wall to uh to that lone shark which i mean who among us if we were in that position but um but you know yeah like i you know i i do think that um that he yeah, I, I I don't I don't think he's he, he's quite as, as as villainous as um as as maybe uh, Ismail feels he is. I, I think that there's a little bit more uh more more nuance to his background. But Gucci settle this. What what side of what side of the fence he's are you the on? The worst. Oh my god. Um, I'll 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 be honest. Um, there is some sympathetic traits there, I guess. But for me, I saw this as kind of like a huge. And I don't know if it is. You know, this is just me you know, doing, you know, my brain going into overdrive here, but I did see it kind of as like a take on like studio executives 
and also uh, yeah. and those studio executives, especially during the studio system era days, taking advantage mm -hmm. of actors and actresses and making them do roles and stuff like they didn't <laughs> yeah. want to do. And so that was like the, yeah. like the first time I watched this, that was the first connection I made. Um, and it actually reminded me, and that's why I brought it up during the historical context, that especially with the ending here, it reminded me a lot of like, you know, the roles that, you know, Latinos back then had to take because that was the only thing that right. they wanted to, you know, kind of feed to these white audiences mm -hmm. that, oh, you know, either the Latino had to be, you know, super hot, right? Had to be like the the love interest of whoever was going, you know, whoever mm -hmm. the main lean was at that time. The Don Juan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or had to be like the bandido, you know, the, the bandit who had to cause trouble. And unfortunately, you know, those stereotypes and them kind of implementing those stereotypes into films today or in, into films then still kind of resonates today and is still being done because that's how white audiences have kind of been um, have been trained to kind of see us. Um, and so, you know, we've covered movies that are changing that, obviously, like Blue Beetle and whatnot. But um yeah that was kind of the first thing that i took away and that's why i don't sympathize with mage too much uh i think it's mostly just because jackie gleason like he just has like a kind of a low-key lovable face sort of but um Scumbag. which i'm you know i'm sure it's got a little you know it pulls a couple heartstrings but at the end of the day i mean he's basically throwing them out there and i understand like mm -hmm you know, his back is up against the wall, but I wouldn't have gotten myself in that situation in the first place, you know? So that's... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's fair. That is very yeah. fair. You know, this is why yeah, I don't watch he, boxing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, he just reminded me of uh, of Tommy Lasorda because uh, Tommy Lasorda never oh, met yeah. a pitcher whose army couldn't blow out. So, you know, that's that's where my mind went. But anyway, had to get a baseball uh, thing. Let's talk about Julie Harris, though. There's a saying, um, though, before we get oh. there, el que se lleva se aguanta, <laughs> all right? That... The person that wants to get in the shit, they got to fucking deal with that shit. And yeah, Mountain go. did not want to deal with that shit. And Mesh put him in that position. Fuck Mesh. Anyways. Yeah, I, and I, I feel I, like there's a school of the Americas allegory that we could draw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Julie Harris. Uh, remember, he, he, remember he, never took a, he never took a fall. Never took a fall. Yeah. He said yeah. 111, 111 fights. fights. Never took a fight. He's almost the heavyweight. Can you imagine 111 fights? Imagine God. being such a stumble bum. And actually, like, <laughs> taking a fall? God, not me. Not me. Not yeah, Anthony. No. Never. Not Mountain. Mountain Not our never. king. <laughs> but yes, Julie Harris. Julie. Yeah. She's also amazing in this. Um, I, I really loved her character. I really liked kind of that, how she represents. Uh, I guess she's she's sort of trying to play a, a white savior here kind of a little bit but i don't know if it necessarily goes I but i don't know if like because at the end of the day she doesn't really save them so i, I don't know well you she's know, like trying to be a white savior you know yeah like exactly. she's not playing the, the white savior but it's like almost there <laughs> it's the white savior that fails you know <laughs> but basically yeah and basically you know jackie gleason calls her out on her bullshit you know a little bit um but yeah mm. but before we dive into that, I was just going to say, I've also seen Julie Harris in uh, East of Eden. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, she's phenomenal. She's a phenomenal actress. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So these performances just were uh, really well done just across the board, it seems. Um, and I really just wish that they gave Muhammad Ali more lines because dude knows how to freaking <laughs> spit bars. You know, he's just like knows how to he knows how to monologue. And uh, mm. unfortunately, they didn't give him 
too too much of one. But uh, moving from the performances, we also wanted to really talk about the stylistic. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I I was talking about this earlier. Like I sound just like uh, what's his face, Sean Connery, when I was trying to say stylistic, yeah. stylistic. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Ishmael, <laughs> talk about the style of the style, movie. Talk about the, the style, style of the movie. Uh, the stylistic aesthetic. The stylistic aesthetics. Oh my god, I can't say this. The stylistic aesthetics of this movie. Run. I know that you wanted to talk about this. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and drive drive this car? Yeah. So there's there's a lot, but I think the the biggest uh, thing that stands out um, is uh, bookending the film with the POV fight scenes. Oof. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just like having having Muhammad Ali's fists coming at your face to open this movie um, really like really lets you know the life that that, that this dude uh, leads and then again like having it happen at at the end as he's you know like entering into this 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 next stage you know um yeah like it was just really really well, well done and i don't know of any other movie that that did something like that you know like back then i i thought it was really innovative i don't you know um i don't know if any of you if either of you have seen anything like that from movies of this era Marty Scorsese no. is better be thanking this movie <laughs> because the Raging Bull is opening. But uh, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Guti. Uh, no, I was I was just gonna say yeah, I've never seen anything like this. It was it was I think that's what blew me away the first time that I watched it, and it blew me again. It blew me away again this time. Um, it it was just unreal, and I think, and like you were saying, Ron, like it immediately puts you in this guy's life. Like you're already sympathizing with him you're already living his life and i think it's just like especially for a film like this that's pretty quick like you know under 90 minutes like it's it's great that it was that it opened like this so in that way you're already resonating with that main character and you can just go off into the races you know tell the rest of the story yeah that that opening was really really modern like I, i know that uh when we were watching this uh it was brought up but like the idea of like how how this movie opens up is like no other of the air. It's pretty, pretty well done. Pretty freaking well done. Um, and Ron, just like you said, uh, how that's paralleled with the ending, which is the, one of the last things I wanted to talk about was just how heartbreaking this ending is truly just like a man beaten down, broken down uh, to the point that like, he's taking this job, which is incredibly demeaning, not only for him, like in terms of the sport, because he's, he already sees this, like, wrestling as like you know like like the man's never taken a fall in 111 fights and now he's going to be in like these staged fights where he's purposely going to lose like he sees it as like like taking a fall and so not only in the in the sports aspect of it all but the fact that they made him uh dress up as a native american and just like go and hooping and hollering uh as many of you (laughs) may know but like uh, a lot of um a lot of Native American imagery is used for, like for for Latin Americans as well, uh, even to this day. But um, but yeah, just like to to just to break them down to that, like it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And I, it makes me hate Mace just that much more, you know, because of just how demeaning it all was. Uh, like I said, not just like by the sport, but like socially and just emotionally for for Mountain, because he really truly did not want to do this. And he only does it basically for Mesh, but I, I like to think it's just like the the last F you to Mesh and like I'm out of here. I'm never talking to you again. At least I that's what I hope. Because good lord, poor 
poor Mountain was so close to just going and being a teacher. He was so excited about it, talking to everyone about it, only to be just brought down to that level. It's just really a really a, a, a sad sight to see. Uh, Guti, uh, I know that you wanted to also talk about this this ending and how like it parallels to to the discriminations uh, for for Latin Americans. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I kind of talked about it already a little bit, but yeah, I mean, this for me like is just the epitome of like how, especially if you put it in the context of like what's going on in America at the time, like I, like I was talking about, like I mean, this is like smack dab in the middle of the civil rights movement, and so I think going back also to that POV shot, like putting yourself in his shoes, you know, in the shoes of a of a minority because you know he is he. Anthony Quinn himself is a minority, but he's also playing a minority in this film. His name's Luis Mountain Rivera. Um, and then, you know, getting all the hatred and stuff kind of just, you know, all the slurs kind of thrown at him as he's going towards that ring at the finale, it just really hits home. And I, I don't see how, like, you can be an audience member in that time watching that, especially with all of that going on and, and just, you know, being like, you know, what are we doing? Are we like, should we, <laughs> are we really not going to give equal rights to, you know, the, you know people so i i don't know for me that that's the biggest kind of parallel there that i saw um as well as you know the one that i already mentioned as far as like the film industry goes and how we've been portrayed on film yeah and i think it also connects to like i mean this is a very obvious uh connection but like but this this is very obviously connected to uh the way that we treat just like the celebrity or the specifically the sports celebrity of like you know just go do your job and shut up and like yeah. uh it's just like hard like they don't even call them boxers they call them prize fighters you know what i mean like it's it's crazy and like um uh i don't know it's just it's just so like like the when you're in that pov shot of him going into the ring at the very end it just you know it really screams at you of like you know how are we treating the people that are in this ring really you know, it's just it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And so it really just brings brings up about like, you know, how, how are we treating uh, sports, sports people uh, today? Like to, even today, it's, it's really insane. Anyone that has any opinion that plays a sports, they say, you know, shut up and play your sport. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's horrible to see. It's really horrible to see. They they take out the humanity of the person and they just put them as this pedestal of like you are are like you are only this the symbol for a sport and nothing else and like no matter what i say to you you can't say anything back just because you know shut up and play your sport it's it's insane so yeah that's a really heartbreaking ending for a heartbreaking film uh but guti this is your pick so why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts and your rating for requiem for heavyweight yeah, so the um the the last little nugget too I wanted to throw in there that I'll you know ties into the conclusion is that uh, going back to the cinematography and and the style um there was also that one shot that I really loved between Julie Harris and Anthony Quinn when they're at the bar and essentially you see you know Anthony Quinn's back but you see his face in the in the mirror in the window yes. behind Julie Harris yeah and then as she's like giving them this his this proposition you see his buddies or whoever it is, the other boxers that are in there that are also boxing. So it's almost like he's one step with, you know, in the boxing world, but still like kind of, you know, entertaining this thought of like maybe taking one step into the teacher. So 
absolutely blown away by the cinematography here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, th- this film, I, pretty much everything that we've covered uh, is pretty much what I love about this film, um, especially since, like, you know, it was done, you know, rel- you know, it's a relatively small film. And I think for, for what it set out to accomplish, you know, the, the script is super tight. The, the performances are incredible. And uh, yeah, I think the first time I, I rated this, I was at four stars, and I think I'm around the same. I'm, I'm still at four stars. But, yeah, phenomenal film. I'm glad I picked it. Yeah. Good pick. Good, 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 good pick. Ron, your final thoughts on your rating for Requiem for Heavyweight. Um, I, I was going to mention that that reflection shot, too. I was very, uh, very struck by that. I was, you know, again, it was like, what were people even doing this, you know, <laughs> at, at that time? Um <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in checking out more Ralph Nelson's work, um, to see, uh, what else, um, he's got cooking. I actually, I, I almost watched the original, I, you know, Guti mentioned that this was uh, based on a teleplay that came out about six years earlier. Um, I almost watched it this morning, but I didn't want it to color the, um, the discussion here. So, but I am going to check it out, um, particularly cause it's got, uh, Jack Palance and Ed Wynn, yeah. who I'm a very big fan of both of those guys. Um, I've, I've heard that, uh, it's, uh, it's ending is a little bit more upbeat. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, am I'm, I'm a sucker for a downbeat ending. So Ron um, loves like <laughs> really depressing I, I endings. Do. I love misery. <laughs> I love suffering. Misery. Um, GDT's second film. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. Uh, I, I want to shout out the, the makeup too. Uh, like the, the cauliflower Ooh. ear that they gave, um, Tony Quinn and like, you know, his, like, you know, his bruises and his scars and stuff. I thought they did a really good job of selling that. Like it, it added the physicality plus two, you know, like, um, the, you know, his, his name's mountain and like, it's such a great choice pairing Anthony Quinn um, who is, I believe, six one, with Mickey Rooney, who's five two, to and then like also shooting him from you know like from low angles and stuff, just to drive home like you know what a Hulk this this guy was, um, but also what a gentle giant. And like I, I love the performances in this so much. I thought everybody was like was so stellar. Um, I I loved this 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 film. Like I I had never heard it before. But Gucci, I'm so glad you you picked it. It's probably my favorite that we've covered in a long time. I'm Ooh, five stars in a heart. Wow, <laughs> five stars in a Baby. heart from Ron. Good Baby. lord, man. I don't know how I'm gonna follow that up. I mean, hit <laughs> uh, us with that two and a half stars. Just, uh, this month. Let's just pack it up. <laughs> um, no, I got some uh, I got some small notes here. Um, the visual style again, like in that opening, like the visual warping of a knocked out fighter, really great stuff. And that music on the opening too, great jazz. Um, the boxing makeup, as you said, Ron, uh, I feel like all boxing movies kind of like are supposed to have amazing makeup because I don't think I've seen a boxing movie with any bad makeup at all. So, um, really great stuff. And I think it's really funny how, uh, they tell the doctor, you take a look at the art, like to like like look at all of his bruises and all his wounds. That was really good writing. Um, and again, another like way that like people treat sports people is like how they say, like, at least he walks away with his brain. That's more than most. Like, that's just, Mm -hmm. um, gosh, really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? 
Mountain has a good luck tie. I have a good luck tie. Jackie gave me a good luck tie. And I'm really, really happy that Mountain has one. Love it. Really, really uh, connected with him on that. Um, uh, yeah. Another point. Oh, yeah. Again, another way that people just like toss away sports people is like the scene of him walking outside like the night of. He's all messed up. And they're just painting over the poster of the fight that he just had. Just, um, mm-hmm. man. Old news, you know, right away. Really sad. Uh, a lot of toxic toxic masculinity in this, uh, obviously, you know, back in that time period. Um, but, like, uh, when they're talking about Mountain and, like, just him having any feeling whatsoever, uh, I think Mesh is the one that says, all of a sudden he's sensitive? Since when does a guy like that get sensitive? It's like, oh, man, you know, like, let the let the man feel. He's just a lovable guy. Like at one point he says, oh, I feel like singing. Like let the man sing. You know, it's just um, heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff. Uh, another toxic masculine thing is that there's <laughs> the bars like no girls allowed. That was so weird. Um, but I thought it was really funny um, that they just don't have any any ladies. Yeah, he, like He man, woman haters. Yeah, cool. I know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, uh, I thought it was kind of sad, you know, kind of. Like when Quinn or Mountain is like telling his story in the bar um, and like everything goes quiet and he's just like reciting his story and no like and no one's talking anymore. They're just like seeing him tell his story. I don't know. It's just um, I don't know. It's just so sad to me. I just feel so sad for Quinn for Mountain. And um, at the very end, you know, Quinn or Mountain, he's fighting back. But there's like no dramatic music, no swelling, no like intense jazz, no none of that. You know, it's just the sad reality of like the accepting of what he's going to have to do and the fighting that he just had with all those other goons. Like it's over, you know, sad stuff. Three and a half stars for me. Just a good movie. Really good movie. Really well made. Um, Fuck Mesh. (laughs) And uh, I think that's about (laughs) it for me. Yeah. I really hate that guy. And uh, yeah, so I think that about does it for our review of Requiem for a Heavyweight. But that doesn't mean that the show is over because right now we are going to read out some lovely reviews from some lovely people. So if you would like to hear your review read out in the Real Latino Show, make sure to tag your letterboxed review with Real Latinos. That's R-E-E-L-L-A-T-I-N-O-S. And you could hear your review read out on the show. We have three reviews today. So the first review that we want to shout out is that of uh, Grugrex Dave. Grugrex Dave writes in, Need Mickey Rooney's trainer sweater stat. Uh, <laughs> Dave, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, uh, that, that sweater sweater game in this is is pretty unreal. And, um, and Grugrex also uh, mentions the... In, in another review that he had, he had two reviews uh, labeled with Real Latinos, but he writes, this immediately draws you in with such a wildly modern style of storytelling, camera work, and credits that you're just taken for a ride through the trials, tribulations, and friendships that the mountain has in his life. Very well put, Dave. Very, very well put. Dave gives it four stars and a heart. Thank you so much, Dave, for writing in for Requiem for a Heavyweight. We also have another review by a good friend of the show, Robert, or on Letterboxd, R-Town 004. Robert writes, 
Uh, Anthony Quinn is brilliant in this. It feels a bit too play-like for my taste at times because it was a teleplay originally. Uh, the initial boxing scenes was so cool. Uh, and we agree with you, Robert. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's pretty great. Um, uh, Robert ends it with saying, thanks to Real Latinos and the 70mm Discord and Dave for putting this on my radar. So thank you. Thank you, Robert, for a wonderful review. Robert gives it three and a half stars. Right with you there. Right with you there, Robert. Um, and our last review that we want to shout out is that of Ev. That's yo, Y-O underscore E-V. Yo, Ev. Uh, Ev, friend of the show, you may have heard her voice on this feed when she was on the episode for Roma. So Ev writes, Excelente. So glad I was able to make the viewing. Oh, Mesh. Thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah, Ev. Um, man, Mesh, my my guy, Mesh. I hate that guy. <laughs> hate him. But um, yeah, that's uh, that. Those are all the reviews that we have to read for today. But we also have an email. We're getting a voicemail. Voicemail from a lovely friend of the show, Jasher. Jasher Drake, uh, host of the Podzilla podcast. Jasher, you may have heard his voice with many of his other voicemails, and we're about to have another banger voicemail. I can already feel it. Uh, so here comes Jasher. Guys, this is going to sound terrible. I'm literally just recording into my phone. But I need to talk about this name. Mesh. <laughs> Mesh. Mechie. Come on, guys. That's got a ring to it. That's that's something special. You guys ever heard of someone called Mesh before? <laughs> I think we need to make it, give it a comeback. You know, we gotta we gotta see more Meshes out there into the world. If I have, I have to be the one to do it. If I have to name my first kid when I have a kid Mesh, <laughs> you know, I'll do it for the good of mankind, for the good of the Mesh Nesh, for the good of the name. I'll put my hand up. I'll I'll be tribute for this. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had to say. It was, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. It was really cool to watch it alongside you guys in the VHS Village. And real Latinos, come on. You guys are killing it every single week. I loved your Ariel Awards episode. Um, and yeah, you guys just keep doing bigger and bigger stuff. And I'm really proud of you three. So yeah, looking forward to listening to this episode. I'll catch you later. Oh, wow. Jaysher. Jaysher with another beautiful voicemail. Uh, Jaysher, what a guy. The Jaysher is the one that I was explicitly really trying to get at when, uh, you know, this whole Mesh Nash thing coming out. I cannot believe someone's <laughs> ride or die for Mesh, but you know what? I get it. It's a really unique name, Mesh. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to be there for the christening of Mesh, Mesh Drake. <laughs> and and Jaysher, when Monique throws you out for naming your son Mesh, uh, you have a couch to sleep yeah, on. Yeah, we have so. many couch. You can couch surf all throughout California. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> oh my God. Jaysher, what a what a lad. Um, thank you so much, Jaysher, for a beautiful voicemail. And you may have uh seen a couple shout outs to the 70 millimeter Discord, the VHS Village, and specifically to Dave. Because uh shout out to Dave uh Grugrix, Dave, the the first review that we read here on the on the show. Uh, because he was so kind and gracious enough to host a watch party for this over on the VHS Village, which is the name that's given to the Discord for the 70mm podcast. So shout out to 70mm podcast, again, for bringing the Real Latinos boys together, um, but also for hosting such it's a... It's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault that you got 40... <laughs> what, what episode is this? 46? 
Man, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we're 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 many episodes deep. Oh, 45. This is episode 45. Should be 45. Uh, we're 45 episodes in. Thank you so so much to the VHS Village for existing, being such a beautiful community. And once again, and a special shout out to Grugrex Dave for being such a beautiful human being, putting together this watch party. Not only did he have uh, a matinee viewing at 12 p.m., but an evening viewing at 6 p.m. He was there for both. Oh. He he puts on a great show, pre-show, post-show. It's great. And Dave, we love you. Um, you're the best. Like you're, we really really appreciate the the work that you're doing here. And um, yeah, shout out to Dave. Yeah, love you, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and and thank you everybody for for showing up and uh, and watching along with us. It was a lot of fun. Loads of fun. And thank you, Jay Sher, for taking my notes for me. I appreciate <laughs> it. It was very helpful. <laughs> Oh my god! Mm. I mean, Jay Sher, what a what a lad! I mean, I really really enjoy his 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 bants his banter, as they say. Um, but yeah, I will say before we hit record, we were actually we were talking about Jay Sher, and Ismail did say that like Jay Sher was like the nicest, funniest guy that he knows. So now that we're recording, I will state that on uh, on record. Truly, um, truly one know. of the best. Yeah, the true. The, the the community that we're a part of that the Dave and and Jay and, and and Rob and Ev and. Every, everybody like from 70 millimeter and um, a lot of the other po- podcasts that uh, you know, that are, are connected with us. Um, it's they're, they're just all incredible people. So we, you know, we love each and every one of you and um, anybody that's, uh, that's listening to this, that doesn't listen to their shows or, or interact with them. I highly recommend doing so. Cause they're just, just, just great people. Uh, they're simply the best. Yeah. It's really we don't have clearance for that. Oh god. Wow. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna we're gonna get sued real quick. <laughs> but, um bef- I'll put the shit to creep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh before we get sued, we should probably announce what our next episode's gonna be. Um our next episode is actually gonna be a new release and a new release that we're very, very excited for is coming out September fifteenth over on Netflix. But September fifteenth over on Netflix, we got the following movie. Things are about to get bloody. Augusto Pinochet is a vampire ready to die, but the vultures around him won't let him go without one last bite. We are going to be covering El Conde, directed by Pablo Larraín. Uh, Pablo Larraín is one of the premier Chilean directors out now. Uh, You may have seen his work with Spencer or Jackie or uh, Emma no uh neruda he's he's a really really great filmmaker and he's got a new movie coming up a new movie covering augusto pinochet as a vampire i mean it's very very exciting um and we're going to be covering it next week so make sure to go and log into your netflix account log into your parents netflix account log into anyone's netflix account please and go give el conde a watch because we will be covering it next week uh and with that uh goody where can people find you on the internet Ah, so uh, you know, this has been a a long time coming. Uh, it's been it's been in the oven for a while, but uh, mm. it's it's fresh. Cooking. It's coming out of the uh, co- coming out of the oven, very fresh, very fresh. Um, so you, for for listeners who have been listening to us for a little bit, you might have noticed that about a month ago, uh, you know, I changed my letterboxed uh, username and uh, you know my social media handles to Ben Cinema Dreams. And the reason that I've done that is I am proud to announce 
that uh, I am starting a newsletter uh, dedicated to celebrating the artists of classic Hollywood and beyond. Uh, so yeah, weekly I'll be sharing reviews of like some of my favorite um, and new to me classic pictures, you know, spotlights on some of my favorite players and directors, you know, kind of like general updates on physical media releases um, related to classic cinema and much, much more. And, and, you know, just, uh, just to give you a little bit of a insight into, you know, what I'll be covering, it's really just classic cinema that could be from, you know, Hollywood, it could be classic cinema from the golden age of, of Mexico. It could be from the classic cinema of Japan, you know, some Ozu, some, some Kurosawa thrown in there. You know, you could have some classic French cinema. So it's really anything that pretty much is before 1972, roughly. Um, and, and part of the reason I created this is because, you know, obviously, you know, if you've listened to all podcasts, you know how passionate I am about, you know, older films. And a lot of the times, you know, these films get overshadowed by the new releases of today. Um, and through my writing, I kind of want to be a champion for those artists that have kind of used, you know, put their blood, sweat and tears into making these films for us and, are, you know, are lucky enough to have them that, you know, they kind of provide us a window into our past um, that kind of, you know, help us inform our, our present and, uh, and guide us into our future. Because, you know, if you look back at a lot of films, a lot of the same problems that, that occurred in those times are occurring today. So, um, you know, just hoping to kind of bring some of that analysis to the, to the films and, and hopefully put some new films on your radar. You know, Ron already confirmed that I have great recommendations when it comes to classic films on this episode. Your story. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think a lot of times people forget that like Spielberg, Scorsese, Nolan, like all your favorite directors, Sciamma, they were all influenced by these classic films. And, you know, these films shouldn't just, you know, go into the abyss and, and no one ever watched them. You know, there's, there's a film back in the day, China, uh, that actually influenced Indiana Jones, you know? Um, and that is, you know, if you're an indie fan, I highly recommend looking at that film. So that's kind of stuff I'll be talking about. Um, so you can find me at finite cinema dreams.substack.com. It's free to subscribe. I already have a newsletter up there for everyone. Um, and in conjunction with that newsletter, I'll also be opening a, uh, a discord server um and the reason i'm doing that is because you know just a part of you know just going around social media different communities film communities i'm a part of again you know most of the time these films get overshadowed so i really wanted to have a dedicated space where you know classic film lovers whether you're you know just starting to dip your toes into those waters or you're you're an expert have a place where it's kind of a safe haven for all of us to come together share knowledge share our experiences with these films and and uh have a good time so we've already had like a watch party you know back in the day um with some folks and, and it was a lot of fun um we did a rebel kind of cause so that I was, was there. great um yeah these these boys were there um or Ron didn't make it, but he was there in spirit. We don't need to get it. Yeah, that. Ron's a big fan, and we all know this. But anyway, let's continue. But yeah, so you can find me at that newsletter. It'll, it'll, it'll come out weekly, and you know, I'm glad that I uh, finally took this first step into sharing my uh, passion for classic film with all of you. Congratulations, dude! Glad it's uh, glad it's finally seen the light of day. Yeah, I know, I know. I needed some uh, some people uh, that are on this podcast to kind of put some uh, you know some kick me into gear, but uh, finally happened. So. Thank you. Thank you for your help and your support, guys. I appreciate it. Kuti, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say in Casablanca. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I already knew that. 
forever and You've known always. that quote the whole time. I knew that yep. quote. I didn't say that it was from Lion King one and a half before, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, this is gonna be a great, great Substack. Make sure to go and subscribe to it. Link in the show notes. Please, please, please go. Um, cause Guti, Guti, he's gonna provide you with that that content that you need. You need it in your bones. So. Thank you so that much. Context and that context too, man. Got to give that historical context always and forever. Uh, Ron, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on letterbox.com forward slash Ron Jimenez. And you can find me on Letterbox with my initials. That's I V as in videos, M as in movies. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for yet another wonderful episode of Real Latinos. Los queremos muchísimo. Nos vemos hasta la próxima y adiós. 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 Real Latinos is a podcast written, produced, and hosted by Christian Gutierrez, Ron Jimenez, and Ismael Villarreal. Mixed and edited by Ron Jimenez. Artwork provided by Lisbeth Jimenez, Ron Jimenez, and Ismael Villarreal. Original music provided by Torre Muchas gracias y hasta la próxima.